Well, I mean, that's the thing with cooking. You got to know the basics first. Yeah. If you skip the basics, I'm sorry, but you're not going to know how to cook. You yeah. know what I mean? You, you got to start from where it started. And then you expand yourself. You start learning more things. Mm-hmm. Um, you start learning that, hey, instead of this, I can use this, you know? Mm-hmm. Or that, like, to me, there's no rules in cooking. They say you shouldn't put cheese with seafood but, like, you see lobster mac and cheese, yeah. and it's good. Oh. You know what I mean? In, in China, they, they do mussels with mayo and mozzarella. You hey. know, it's like, it, and it's good. Yeah. So why, why is there a rule? To me, if you like it, if it yeah. tastes good to you, well, why is it wrong? Yeah, and who's making these rules? Exactly. Like, like who's making, like, someone with no taste palate. Exactly. So I'm going to tell you right now, if you... Yeah, yeah. Bobby, I'm eating brunch with my people though. Homie Dagger's cooked up a feast and we about to eat it, bro. Fuck around and had to mix the lobster with the protein. Daddy's rolling blue dream, and boy got down a routine. That's town culture, cooking seven courses. Had to pass the torch and now I'm grabbing second portion. So sit back, relax, grab a drink and a smoke. It's hard to brunch on the way and get prepared for the jokes. Whoa, it's hard to brunch, yeah. It's hard of brunch, well, it's hard of brunch, yeah, it's hard of brunch. Hi, and welcome to the Heart of Brunch podcast. I'm your host, Dyke Michaels, and with me as always, my co-host, Thaddeus J. McKee. Double slappy went went. <laughs> On the ones, the twos, the wheels of steel, the sauce boss of Indianapolis, and the last woke dragon, off mic today. Give it up for Zach Rowan, everybody. Hey there. <laughs> that was a great Zach impression. Thank you. I liked it. And a uh, very special guest with us uh, on this special away game episode of Harder Brunch, Chef Carlos Salazar. Welcome to the program. What's up? Hey, how you doing today? Pretty good, man. How about you guys? Great. Thanks for it. We are broadcasting live from the, the Stave Cocktail Lounge at West Fork Whiskey in uh, Westfield, Indiana. Yep. North side. The wow. real north side. This is uh-huh. the real. So this was pretty. So like Thad didn't really know uh, anything about the history. And we we're kind of, he was like, so what's the deal here? And I was like, really, all I know is West Fork uh, Whiskey had a very small place in Indianapolis, right? Yep, like downtown. The, it's right off like 17th and Bellefontaine, I believe. Yeah, and it's like almost like like nano size, right? Very like small. Real um, small. I mean, you could probably fit 25, 30 people in there. Yeah. Um, but it's mainly just a bar, you know. Um, nothing to eat. We got chips, yeah. you know. But, I mean, at one point I was serving, like, food, like, on the weekends there. Okay. Before we opened this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to get people, like, seeing, like, all right, what, what are they about to do in the north side? So. Nice. Yep. So then what? <coughs> what's all this then? <laughs> this, is, um, this is great. What's happening with this? Yeah, this place is huge. Um you know, pretty much it's the it's going to be the main West Fork where we're going to be making the whiskey here. We yeah. have a 40-foot copper still coming in about a couple of weeks so we can start doing um, production. Mm-hmm. We'll do tours. Um, we have a tasting room or educational room where you get to taste all the whiskey we make, how we make it, what grain goes in it. Mm-hmm. Wow. 40-foot. Um, how, many, how many batches of that? Shit, before? I don't know. A yeah, lot. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's big. Yeah, it seems like a lot, like, and you could just keep testing different stuff. Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they, ha- they have their, um, their main line, um, but they also have, like, small batch bottle releases here and there, so they'll make, um, those goes crazy. <clears throat> you know, it will sell out in a couple hours. Wow. So there's, there's, like, a line outside the door waiting for us to open and sell those bottles. Um, tailgating back there or up front waiting. What? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. The north north side goes hard. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe some of those are downtown people that drive all the way here because you know we didn't we didn't do it in the downtown location, so uh, it was okay. just Westfield location. So I'm I'm guessing a lot of those hardcore downtown fans drove here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can take a drink outside and look at horses on the side of the um, building. We do <laughs> got a couple horses out there. I mean, we it's not ours. But they've never, you know, the owners, whoever it is, has never said anything about, like, hey, don't look at our horses. <laughs> don't make eye contact yeah, right? with the stray horses. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big no-no. Uh, and then we, and then, well, let's talk about your restaurant in here. Um, so, yeah, we got the Mash House um, is the restaurant. We have our own bar. Um, the Mash House, um, it's, 
with patio, it could be around like 270, 300 seats. Wow. What? Um, yeah, it's huge. Um, we concentrate on like Midwestern um, cuisine um, using a lot of local ingredients, farmers, um, things like that, just showcasing what we could grow here in um, Indiana, Midwest area, you know, um, Great Lakes, uh, fish. Yeah. You know, and we have a lot of great farmers here that's, you know, producing things that's normally that wouldn't grow in Indiana, but they're, they're able to. You know, we got, the, we got the climate, we got the soil for it. So, you know, things like that. What was up with that uh, chicken and waffle? Somebody sent me that from... Somebody, uh, is that so, the special this today? No, um, we do brunch on Sundays. Okay, and that is on the menu. Nice. Um, you know, it's everybody loves chicken and waffles. Really uh, it, it's it's a good seller. You yeah, know? Um, it's simple. It's it's like corn cake waffle with um, buttermilk, um, brined chicken, fried, and then honey butter. Just let it melt over it. Mm. I feel like you as a chef. Uh, in Indianapolis, definitely have a reputation of being like a uh, top tier chicken guy. <laughs> like this guy does what he's doing with the chicken. Yeah, um, I mean, I wouldn't say that, but I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I like to test myself. I like to see what I'm capable of, or if I don't know it, I want to play with it so I can learn it. Yeah, you know. Um, but being in the north side, you got to know your place. You got to know when you can play around or when to be like, all right, yeah. for here, this is what we have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Kind of elevated Midwestern food. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think... Uh, I think hiring you uh, to be part of the food program here, like, to me, like, when I saw that, like, come through social media, I was like, oh, they're serious. Like, they're doing a serious thing here. Yeah. They're not playing around. And then I walked through, and I was like, oh, they're really serious yeah, yeah, here. Yeah. Like this- well, you know, we wanted to change it. You know, yeah. we're, um, to me, Northside is, is a lot of um, just very, um, I, don't, I, I don't want to put anything down, but, you know, it's very casual. It's very, like, very simple. Sure. Um, Mm. Again, you know, a lot of like the that's cool what my teachers call me. Very simple. <laughs> I never knew it was a put down until now. Cat, casual fad. Casual simple fad. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's a put down. <laughs> oh, okay. simple syrup was my name. But yeah, but we wanted to elevate it. You know, we wanted to show them like, hey, um, you know, steak and potatoes or um, a pork tenderloin sandwich could be cool. Yeah, could be fuck. Could be good. Yeah. Well, you know, I, so. I I think that um, you know we've all noticed obviously like in the past you know, 15 years, like how the food evolution has changed in the city. And I think it, you know, kind of starts from the downtown area and kind of yeah. goes out slowly. Yeah. Uh, I remember cooking in Irvington like 10 years ago and like, you know, being in culinary school at the time and I would put something on the menu like you just, oh, this went a little too far. This is, this is a little too much. And now I feel like their tastes have kind of caught up with everything. And I feel like that goes out, out and now into you know, the yes. suburbs and, yeah. and beyond. Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely say it started in downtown area. I think um, customers is a little bit more forgiving. Um, the chefs is a little bit more, um, I don't know, courageous in a way that like, hey, I want to do this and see what you guys think without, you know, trying to be like, oh, I'm going to hold back, kind of scared. You know, we want to show you what, we want to showcase what we can do or, yeah. you know, what we know or what we've tasted somewhere and we want to present it to you know, our, our local customers. Yeah. I love that. Like, and this is really cool here to be in the speakeasy. Well, you, you called it here. Like I've, I love speakeasies and it just is like a very comfortable vibe. I want to know a little bit more about you though, too, as a, as a celebrity chef of Indianapolis. Uh, I, don't know I could, that. no, I always know because when uh, Dyke tells me we're talking to a certain chef, his voice changes. <laughs> the better, the Cracks. better, yeah. The better the chef they are, the the more nervous uh, he'll he'll be. And so, um, where, where did you get your start? Like, where, like, when did you start finding out I have a love for cooking? Um, I would say it was probably about two thousand five. Um, before, the, so I graduated high school oh three, mm-hmm. and I love math, so I went for accounting. About a year into it, a year and a half into it, I was hanging out at a bar with. My now wife, uh, back then she was just my friend, and I told her, I was like, you know, school's great, but I don't know if I can see myself in a cubicle for the rest of my life. Right. And she just mentioned, why don't you start cooking or go to culinary school? I was like, what? 
didn't know nothing. Like, it never crossed my mind. But she saw something, because back in high school, when people would come over to my house, I would cook. Instead of, like, we're going to order pizza. No, I'm going to cook you guys food. So, obviously, she saw something there and said something. I was like, huh. Got me thinking. Mm-hmm. And crazy that um, Chef's Academy was about to open down in downtown. So, I checked it out. Um, the moment I walked in that door, I was like, all right, I think I found something. Yeah. Like, it was, I haven't even talked to any of the chefs. I haven't seen the kitchen. But it was something about walking through that door. I was like, I think I found what I want. Yeah, you're home. Yeah, exactly. And it, it was that simple. It was weird. Um, oh, but, yeah, and then started going to culinary school at 2006. First class of Chef's Academy. I was actually there with, with Abby Maris from Bluebeard. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, we were the first um, class in that. That's quite a graduation class. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I started there in 2006. Four months into it, I got a job at Oakley's Bistro. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't really know um, the food scene, you know, so I didn't know how big it was until I researched it, and I was like, wow. I'm about to work for the best chef in the city, you know, all these accolades, all this stuff. So I was, like, kind of nervous because, to me, it's four months into culinary school. I don't know what I'm doing. yeah. But so you're doing this at the same time that you're in school? Exactly. Okay, yeah. awesome. Because um, so, I went to school at night. Um, it was like from 7 to 11 or 5 to 11. Oh, wow. So I worked during the day um, at Oakley's. So I did land up job. I started from the bottom where I was doing salads, salad dressing, things like that. And I just moved myself up, you know. Um, I was hungry. I told Oakley's, I was like, you teach me everything you know. And I'll be, I'll be here. You know, I'll, I'll clock out after 40 hours and stay just to learn. Mm-hmm. I was like, you, whatever you give me, I'll take. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did pastries for a year and a half there. Oh, wow. And, you know, just moved up to saute, grill, left, and went um, to, like, I opened up a brunch place, um, two of the war. But I hated waking up at 2 in the morning. Oh, my gosh. There it is. Yeah. So a year later, I went to um, help open up Pizzology and Caramel for Neil Brown. Okay. Yeah. And then um, two years into that, I was kind of itching to get back into that fine dining. Mm-hmm. So I kind of left trying to find myself, um, figure out where I wanted to go. And then again, um, two months after leaving Pizzology, Oakley's called me. He's like, hey, I'm looking for a sous chef. You know anyone? I was like, well, I'm not working. He's like, well, come in and talk to me. I was like, all right. Came in the next day. You know, we were just chit-chatting. It wasn't even about work, seeing how I've been doing, how he's doing. And then and finally, I was, I was like, when can I start? It's like, start tomorrow. I was like, so I started working there, you know. And then finally, when he, when he started giving me the freedom of doing the menu, leaving me to do, you know, things that I wanted to do, that's when I found, like, all right, I think I'm ready for to do my own thing. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, at first I was scared. But then when I was, like, if I could run one of the best chefs in the city's restaurant, yeah. then I think I could do my own thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, yeah, a lot of it, he's got my back. He's got, you know, he's got the guidance there, whatever. Um, but I, I kind of made me think, like, all right, I'm ready. I love that. And that's when Rook happened. The Rook story. Yeah. Rook started, um, was it 2013? I believe it was a 30-seat Bon Me restaurant. And uh, finally, we were like, well, this could be a chef-driven restaurant. You know, we were in Fountain Square. Yeah. You know, Fountain Square was blooming. Milk Tooth was about to open in like six months from then. And then Blue Beer was already open about seven months before um, Rook opened. So it, it was... It was a place to be. So Man. finally we were like, you know what? Let's change this. So I started, I wanted to do something that I didn't know about. Um, to me, cooking is about learning. If you don't learn something new every day or you don't become better um, every day, then I feel like you're wasting your time. Mm. So I wanted to do something I didn't know, and which was Asian food, okay. which was Filipino food, which is crazy because I'm Filipino. But I don't know anything about my culture. Oh, okay. You know, I don't know about my food. I watch my dad cook. Man. So that's what so I wanted to learn. I, I Coming from Oakley's, it was French. Yeah. You know, and I was like, all right, I want to do something different. I want to challenge myself. I want to show Indiana, like, there's more 
so, flavors. But you also got to like teach yourself your like experience to teach yourself your own culture. Exactly. Which is really awesome. Like, so, what, it, yeah, it, it was a lot of like, like um, testing, failing, but, you know, mm-hmm. finding like, all right, this works. This is cool. This is fun. And it was pulling teeth for the first year getting people in because of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was serving, you know, ramen, steam buns, pig face, you know, mm. at 20, oh, 2012, 2013, Indiana, I was like, what the heck is this? Yeah, Did he say pig face? Yeah, it was pulling teeth getting people in there. But finally, I knew that I had, I was, I, I knew I was good enough that if people walk in, taste my food, I could keep them coming back. Yeah. yeah. That's all I, I just needed you to just try it. Yeah. You know, I had confidence in myself. Just try my food and you'll be back. What did you find out about your culture as you dove into the the menus and like the cooking history there? Um, the uh, the biggest thing I found is that our food was very simple. Filipino food is very simple. It's ugly, I it's it's super ugly. You know, it's it's rice, um, some kind of stewed meat or mm-hmm. fried fish. Yeah. But I think um, I wanted to showcase Filipino food too, but it has to be pretty. I didn't want to just put a pile of rice yeah and meat you know um there's a time and a place and there's a chef for that but i wanted to be creative mm-hmm. so i had to you know i had to be almost artistic and make it beautiful you know yeah um, you're selling this to people that yeah maybe on the fence to begin with but i didn't want to bastardize the flavor of filipino food to be like if filipino came in it's like this is not it yeah so i didn't want to do that you know i wanted to kind of stick with the the basic flavor profile but kind of give it a little twist whether how it looks or if i added something that's not traditionally spicy if i add chilies on it you know just something what i thought was like hey this could this needs a little bit of acid let's try that out you know mm. if it works it works if not then we don't do it you know yeah so. how did uh, little dumplings come about um i wanted something in the north side so i, I live in fishers and i wanted something i wanted to test the waters um, the customers, you know, I had downtown people, so I wanted to try Northside because that's where I lived. I wanted to be closer to my home. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Little Dumplings started in the um, Fisher's Test Kitchen over at Sun King and um, Fisher's. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it, was, um, it was a global street food concept, you know, so it wasn't just Asian. No, it was everything. Like, the menu will change. Um, you know, I have chili dogs in there. I have Philly cheesesteak. I'll have dumplings. You know, it wasn't a dumpling shop. Mm. People was, couldn't get, you know, I get it, but they couldn't understand. They're like, I'm not a dumpling shop. The little dumplings actually came from, that's what I call my kids. Mm. Ever since they were born, I never yeah. called them by their name if I put them on social media. It was like, I'm out in the playground with my little dumplings. Oh, okay. And then when I, I told them, I was like, hey, what would you think of Daddy's new restaurant? It's called Little Dumplings. And the face was lit up. And that's when I was like, all right, this, I'm opening that up. It is going to be called Little Dumplings. Whether it's a dumpling shop or not, that's what it's called. Yeah. It, it could be a hot dog place, but I'm calling it Little Dumplings. <laughs> little Dumplings. Yeah. That's awesome. And do they go by Little Dumplings at school? No, that's literally just me. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's almost like my pet name for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What was, like, the most, when you were exploring, like, Filipino food for the first time, like, what were the things that you were most uh, drawn to, attracted to? What are the things that you maybe you were surprised that you didn't enjoy? Um, I think I was attracted to um, the biggest condiment in the Philippines is, um, is vinegar. You know, here we don't think about vinegar as a condiment yeah we think about it as like a ingredient in a in a dish yeah but in the philippines it's it's vinegar we'll dip fish in vinegar we'll dip a steak yeah and some kind of vinegar add a little bit of soy sauce chilies garlic that's your dipping sauce you know so i I like that i love that flavor um it didn't really go well with some wines but you know we were um riesling heavy so it kind of went well with a little bit of that um and I mean, it was it was just again. I feel I felt like everything was a surprise to me because I didn't re- I really didn't know, you yeah. know the the food the Filipino food I knew was what my dad cooked and it was like four basic things you know I know he knows more but what we ate at yeah. home 
it was, you know, four main dishes. So a lot of everything I did was a learning curve was a surprise to me, which was great. That's what I wanted. Yeah. I wanted to be challenged. You know, making our own misos, making our own fish sauce, mm-hmm. fermenting vegetables. We were fermenting meats. Oh, wow. You know, um, things that we weren't supposed to do. <laughs> but we would hide it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you said that, like, when you were in high school, that you would, like, cook for your friends and stuff. Were you, like, a latchkey kid who ended up having to cook dinner? Like, like for me, I ended up cooking a lot because, like, my mom was working and stuff like that. And so it was just like, well, if you want to eat, you have to cook dinner. Yeah. That, and that's, here's X, Y, and Z laid out and figure it out. That's exactly what it was for us. Um because when I moved here in 92, I was eight years old with my two sisters. My dad worked morning, day, and night. So we had to take care of ourselves. Um, my oldest sister, she was pretty much my mom. My mom was still in the Philippines. So it was just us here while my dad's working. So we, 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 you know, we did our own thing. You know? um, but again, we weren't cooking anything crazy. We were making spam sandwiches you know um vienna sausage mm-hmm. open a can heat it up you know things like that but we learned to do our things ourselves mm-hmm. so. that's what's always interesting to me about cooking because i feel like if you kind of know how to cook and then it seems crazy when someone just doesn't know how to cook at all because like most things it's just like most things have a uh, directions on the box right yeah. like, like <laughs> yep. if you could do step one step two step three and then the 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 cutoff is when uh, you, all of a sudden there, you start seeing like um, processes and ingredients that you don't recognize. And so then you either go to the internet or you go to the industry or you go to culinary school and then you figure out, oh, this is what tournay means. This yeah. is what this means. And then, and then those things just become, you know, tools in your toolkit that you, you can, you can uh, use to cook better from. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, I, <laughs> I think it's because like, I think like every stage, I feel like I've had some sort of baseline to know how to cook. Yeah. And then just been inquisitive enough to know what I didn't know and wanted to know, like, okay, uh, well, how do you do that now? Well, I mean, that's the thing with cooking. You got to know the basics first. Yeah. If you skip the basics, I'm sorry, but you're not going to know how to cook. You yeah. know what I mean? You got to start from where it started. And then you expand yourself. You start learning more things. Mm-hmm. Um, you start learning that, hey, instead of this, I could use this, you know, mm-hmm. or that, like, to me, there's no rules in cooking. They say you shouldn't put cheese with seafood, but like you see lobster mac and cheese, yeah. and it's good. Oh. You know what I mean? In, in China, they, they do mussels with mayo and mozzarella. You hey. know, it's like, and it's good. Yeah. So why, why is there a rule? To me, if you like it, if it yeah. tastes good to you, well, why is it wrong? Yeah, and who's making these rules? Exactly. Like, like who's making like someone with no taste palate? Exactly. I'm going to I'm going to tell you right now. If you are eating clams without or excuse me, mussels, take two. If you're eating mussels without cheese and mozzarella, <laughs> which is the same thing as cheese, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I think it's always it. like yeah, you have to know the rules to break them. Kind but of. Thing. Everybody's but everybody's palate is different, right? Yeah. But I mean, I could make something really good, but I will. I could find people that thinks. It's the crappiest thing they've ever oh, yeah. tasted. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's different. It's food. But when you go to school, do they say like, hey, don't do this, don't do mix yeah. cheese with it? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, I mean that was a rule. You don't there's you don't do cheese with seafood. Huh. Which well, is crazy. Then how do you explain the fish fillet from McDonald's? Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. So uh, like I said, <laughs> if it tastes good to you, then it, that's that's what Rook was. Like we played around with flavors that if it tastes good to us, that's what we're doing. It doesn't have to be a traditional dish, you know. I I want to go back to something you said earlier about the Chef's Academy because, uh, well, Zach was a graduate from the Chef's Academy as well. Uh, I went to uh, AI, and I feel like these are both, like, for-profit schools that sometimes got a bad reputation because they definitely would – you could go through the program and not learn anything. Oh, yeah. But you could also go through the program and learn everything. And be the best. Yeah. And so uh, just because you went to the school, like I saw a lot of people that came from Chef's Academy and they just graduated and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm the hot shit chef. Yeah. I, I don't do dishes. Yeah. And it was like, well, you don't do dishes? <laughs> what are you talking Everybody about, chef? Dishes. You don't do yeah. dishes? Um, but so I'm always amazed at the people because like that's how I felt in school is just like put your head down, just do the work. And you're going to learn, you know. Yeah. And But 
for some reason with the chefs academy there seemed to like i feel like they graduated a lot more people that came out that were like not good chefs it's about money like but. everything else it's money <laughs> if you're gonna give us money coming into school i don't care if you don't know what you're doing yeah if you're paying us yeah you know what i mean just go through the 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 classes you'll graduate i yeah. mean as long as you're not failing you know but yeah high school it, was literally a pyramid scheme in the pyramids yeah it's the bottom what the, yeah yeah yep um but, but yeah. again turned out some amazing i mean i like erica oakley like i know yeah. a bunch of people like school around town school. That went there. like oakley's taught me i could i could get a kid from ivy tech and i could get a kid from C, cia in new york and come work for me sometimes you're gonna get that guy from ivy tech is better than the C, it doesn't matter what school you go to yeah. it's the person Supreme, that goes to that 100%. school if you're hungry if you're willing to learn doesn't matter what school you go to, you know, they don't, it's just like, it's, it's that person. You, yeah. you just, it's, it's in you, you know, that school doesn't really teach you that stuff. I didn't learn from Chess Academy. I learned from Oakley's, you know, I, I probably learned five, ten, no disrespect to Chess Academy, <laughs> RIP though, but no disrespect, <laughs> but you learn from, you know, going out in the field, like going out in a battle. That's where, that's where you're learning from. You're not learning to go in the shooting range. That's interesting. It's like uh, much like stand up. Like you can't just learn stand up by watching it or having people just talk your ear off about yeah. it. You have to kind of just jump in and do an open mic and then and see what works. Yeah. If you were talking to someone who's eighteen years old and they were like, you know, I want to, I want to be a chef, would you at this point tell them to go to culinary school or just to get a a, a good job at like a, a well respected restaurant and and learn on the fly. I tell them go do something else. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no. I'll be like, if you're, if, if, you, if this is what you want, you're passionate about it, and this is what you're gonna sleep, breathe, bleed. Hell yeah, do it. You know, but I would say culinary school is more of a waste of money if you could get your foot in the door with a you know a great chef that's willing to teach you. Cause that's where you're gonna learn, and it's yeah. gonna save you money. It can save you anywhere between twenty five to eighty thousand dollars you know and at least when you're working for a chef you could get paid and learning at the same time and yelled at yeah (laughs) i mean you gotta just gotta have that thick skin (laughs) yeah uh chef thank you so much for talking to us today of course uh when we're done podcasting we're gonna walk right in there and eat breakfast what's what's the go-to suggestion for us um i'm a big fan of the um the ham and potato hash so the hams from fisher farms the chicken and waffles for sure um, and everything else is, you know, we got like the Grand Park platter, which is like just eggs. You know, you got you got you got to go to traditional, absolutely know, the one that you know eggs, bacon, toast, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. But I would say definitely the chicken and waffle and the, and the hash is a go to. That's what I would eat if I came in there right now. All right. Well, we're going to go in there. Definitely going to order that. We're going to order some things, and we'll put up some uh, some sexy pictures on our social media. Yeah. Sounds uh, good. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, hey, I appreciate it. Where can people find you and follow you on social media? Um, man, I, I, you can um, Azriel09 on Instagram, and then Carlos Salazar, Facebook. Nice. Um, follow Dumplings Doodle Bar, um, Mash House, um, West Fork Whiskey, you know, just all over. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Chef. Appreciate your time. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. Gen Z can't stop raving about the Harder Brunch Patreon. Patreon.com backslash Harder Brunch slaps. No cap. The Harder Brunch podcast is bussin' on God. Move over, Boomer. Gen Z's here to talk to you about the Harder Brunch Patreon. Harder Brunch podcast on Patreon. $3 a month. Low key a steal. The Harder Brunch Podcast dead ass has me bricked up every day. <laughs> Listen to these all totally real testimonials. No, like I'm getting paid to do this. Don't worry. Yeah. No. You think I do this for free? No. The Harder Brunch Podcast dead ass slaps. younger. The Harder Brunch Podcast dead ass slaps. Just go to patreon.com backslash harder brunch. The Patreon after brunch podcast hits different. That shit makes you feel shit. Hi, and welcome back to the Harder Brunch Podcast. We're here joined by Josh Ratliff from West Fork Whiskey. And uh, please, tell the, please tell the people what you do here at West Fork Whiskey. 
Oh, wow. That's a big, it's uh, a big question. I'm the director of brand experience. Uh, so I am making sure that when you walk into the building, it's uh, feels and acts and performs the way that our brand does in a bottle or, um, you know, and as a brand from retail through uh, the events, promotions that are going on, that it all feels cohesive. Mm. Um, and that involves the restaurant operation, menu development, and, you know, picking up trash in the parking lot. There yeah. you go. So far, I've had a good experience. Have you, <laughs> have you, I was going to ask you, have you done it? <laughs> I thought you were waiting for the other shoe to drop. No, I was, I was looking at, uh, I was looking so at far, you. So far, so good. Don't mess it up, Josh. Ooh, pressure's on. <laughs> it's been good. It's been good so far. <laughs> it's been great. I was Well, so, like, that wasn't... Um, very, super familiar and so we were on the way up here talking and i was like i only really know like the downtown west fork and i was like it's it's really tiny you know it's really small and so we came up here and we see this yeah massive complex <laughs> yeah. i was like oh they've got an upgrade it was so big he made me drive around again like that can't be it I'm like I it like, says I it don't think <laughs> yeah they, i'm not sure if that's a restaurant like the sign <laughs> says that it's this place he's like well we gotta we gotta check i was like well, there's some places where they'll have like a you know the distilleries over here, the restaurants mm-hmm. over here, mm-hmm. and uh, so I wasn't quite sure, but it was just like it's so massive. <laughs> it's a big spot, it, yeah. and it's the the aspect out here is is flat, so like it really just stands uh, pops out gargantuan. And the the design's pretty cool. I like how it looks like two houses. Mm-hmm. You know, it's those like classic shapes, uh, mm-hmm. but still modern and um, yeah. So it's, it's cool. It's big, but uh, the the core is the same. You know, same folks developing the cocktails and recipes. And yeah. So if you know, like, shout out to downtown Shelby and Todd and those yeah. folks. Um, you know, same vibes up here, just a lot bigger. How long? How long have you been with the company? Um, I came on in February, um, so just uh, you know, half a year or so. And before that, I was um, with Newfields, directing their culinary arts um, and hospitality programs oh, there. Wow. Um, so I've been in India for a while, but uh, yeah, excited to get out into a, a brand. You know, I've always been on an institutional side. So. Yeah. And it's fun, right? It's Food whiskey. Food and whiskey. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah, we're having fun. Uh, so this is a really cool, you want to tell us about the room that we're actually uh, podcasting in yeah so um this is stave stave is uh, uh named after the wood pieces that make up a barrel so um stave is kind of that zoomed in uh to the cocktail experience uh, vibe we have it's literally a book it's leather bound there's a table of contents there's a forward uh it's not just a quarter sheet of cocktails uh so we we dive pretty deep into what you can do with whiskey and we focus uh not only on this kind of darker more speakeasy vibe uh but also really inviting people into whiskey with a with a genuine invitation to try it try something new um and not just Ha, uh, build some shrine for all the bourbon heads out there that are really into you know bourbons we spend just as much time on um, cocktails for people that are brand new to bourbon or even mocktails i mean those take um, just as much of our focus and time as uh, as as well as like wine list and things like that we want it to be a, a really uh, like a pinnacle experience for yeah. the county and, and the state, and you're not phoning anything in. Yeah, yeah. right. Absolutely, because we we know we have the backbone of great whiskey, great value whiskey, uh, telling a great Hoosier story. But we also know we need to be a great bar for whoever you are, whatever day you're kind of having. Yeah, how has that transition been from going from this tiny little place downtown to this this huge uh, space here? Well, you know, there's the challenges of that, um, just like from a like design and or even management style is, is are huge because you know there's there's that certain feeling and vibe where things start, you know, like you, you 
get a new house, but there's nothing like that little house you grew up in, you know, Mm -hmm. the the way that it was. And so we will never, uh, we will never be in a spot where we're like, yeah, this is way better than downtown or, um, but it is different and Mm -hmm. it reflects the growing nature of our brand. Um, but man, the, the challenges like taking those seeds that made that little place scrappy and made it successful for its neighborhood. Yeah. Um, those are truths that we can come and plant here in new soil. And, uh, it's a very different neighborhood. It's a very different space. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the core, we're just making whiskey, making people feel like whiskey and trying to copy what we did down there, but let it become Mm -hmm. its own thing. Speaking of whiskey, you brought some whiskey for us to sample. Yeah. Do you mind? Can can Zach get one too? Yeah, our, our producer. Sure. He's uh he's got the shakes usually in the morning yeah. when he wakes up. <laughs> he's a different type of bourbon head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, I started out with my favorite. I'm not going in like this the like correct okay. perfect order yeah. through a bourbon tasting. I this is the Josh order. Some, yeah. I like this it. is like uh, my favorite special. to taste people on. Um. So. Out of all the different types of uh, bourbon you see out there, um, you know the, the biggest chunk of bourbon mash bills is corn. Yes. Um, and coming from, I come from like a wine world background, so um, getting into whiskey is a learning uh, journey for me every day. But uh, you know, corn is is really what anchors uh, our whiskey. It, it's you know. We're in Indiana, you know, all the tropes there. But uh, so I actually gravitate towards the weeded bourbon, which is still a fair bit of corn. um, But this higher percentage of wheat just brings a more, um, like, I say big red gum, and that really tends to connect Mm, to people. But um, there's a certain heat that comes from alcohol, and we talk about, uh, you know, a high-proof bourbon is hot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so... But there's also that heat that comes from like cinnamon gum or, yeah. you know, like that atomic Spiciness. ball uh, candy thing, yeah. you know, and that spicy heat uh, just really pairs really nicely. At, this is a 90 proof single barrel uh, weeded that is spicy. There's a little it's a little warmer at 90 instead of 80. But I just think it pairs really well yeah. together, especially for this season. It's got kind of that woolly warmth. Um, all around and finishes with that cinnamon gum flavor. So let's let's dive in. Let's go. You probably hear me swishing because. <laughs> okay, sorry. Ooh, big red. You feel it? Yeah. Yeah, I really do. I don't know. I always tend to want to taste or smell whatever they're talking about when when you. But no, yeah, I think big red's a really good description of that. So I, I mean, I think. This one could work well in cocktails. I mean, this is priced right at around 40 bucks. Um, so it's not inexpensive, but yeah. it's also, uh, compared to most bourbons these days, the stuff oh, we're putting gosh. out is very flavorful. It I has, really like it. It has um, the integrity to be on a top shelf, but um, yeah. you just bring it in at a reasonable price. And what I like about it, too, is that burn, like, too. Like it, it's not like an extreme heavy burn where you're like oh this is painful but like it's like a nice like comforting like soothing like mm. burn as it goes down your esophagus and like it lingers a little bit it lets you know it's whiskey yeah yes. and i you know that's uh it is whiskey it is you know this straight bourbon but that's where we we don't just want to stop there we want to find an expression of it that makes sense for a particular moment or a particular palate um what was the name of that one so this one's the weeded, the weeded uh, that we put out, and so, you know, a lot of brands have like, um, especially in the wine world, or you know, they the, the brands will put out these very, you know, these histories, you know, mm-hmm. in in down in Kentucky, you know, this is our, 150 year old horse farm, and we made it into a distillery, and this old <laughs> guy was this, and his <laughs> nephew, and all. It's yeah, like, we don't want to come to um to hoosiers and say like some like pseudo history or thing Mm -hmm. anything like that we just want to believe in the juice we put in the bottle 
put a label on it that helps you understand what is in the bottle yeah. and put it at a decent price. And that's it's great. We, we, we don't really have a lot of mystery or poetry about our brand. It's really just tell the people it's good, price it right, and mm-hmm. pop it. Well, and that is like going back to like what you were saying about the, the culture of that, of that small place downtown. It's like that's the kind of vibe I always got when I was in there. It was just like it's just, it's just, this is kind of like here's some good whiskey. You know, like I'll give you a quick kind of explanation of – this and the other, but like, yeah, what you said, like, so, like sometimes when you go to look up a recipe and it's the same kind of thing, it was just like, I just want to know how to make the cheesecake. And it's like, well, my grandmother got off <laughs> the ship at Ellis Island. It's like, what? <laughs> like, sometimes you just want to get straight to the. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I always, the longer the history for me, the better. <laughs> even, even if it's fake, even if I know this is a bullshit story, <laughs> I'm like, hey, thank you. Like, little Timmy, you know, lost his leg, but like, with that, you know, he mashed the corn. I don't know, whatever it is, it's comforting. <laughs> he mashed the corn with just the peg leg with the leg. Yeah, yeah. You never never had peg leg Timmy's yeah. bourbon. This, wow, yeah. You know, I'm writing this down. This is uh... if you need someone to do a pseudo history for you guys. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll I'll be glad to. Okay, yeah. we should work on this as soon as we're done yeah. here. We'll just kind of sketch just, out Tim and yeah, you know, to, yeah, how he lost his leg. Yeah, and maybe. His journey to the north side from, yeah. <laughs> he, you know, he used to fight in the gangs of Indianapolis. And, um, yeah. I'm Maybe not. that's how he lost the leg. Yeah. 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 Story's really coming together, guys. Like, <laughs> Thank you. Improv workshop. That's what, I, that's what I do. <laughs> You'll have people filled with this place once I get done with my pseudo histories. Okay. That's all right. We're booked for that. Then. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think. There's a difference between, especially these days. I mean, let's. I mean, let's be honest. The world we're in, there are a lot of bourbon brands fighting for a very limited yeah. uh, set of market, and everybody wants to stand out. Everybody wants to have the the loudest, the biggest mm-hmm. pickle whiskey, peanut butter whiskey, all this stuff. Um, Everybody's Zach kind of garbage whiskey. person would drink peanut butter whiskey. Zach smiling <laughs> over there ear to ear. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, no, no hate for any of the people standing out how they do, but it does present you know a different type of problem. Mm-hmm. Um, to you know, how do you stand out but be genuine? And, mm-hmm. and that's so a brand is not unlike you know a musician or an artist or anybody trying to come uh, come out and say like. This is who I am. I'm worth. I'm worth it. And so, I think for us, we're really anchoring ourselves on like with our West Fork whiskey juice is like we'd rather be your favorite than like the best you've ever had. You know. So I think from restaurant world, it's like I'd rather be someone's favorite restaurant than the best restaurant they've yeah, ever been. Yeah, because you're gonna come back. Yeah, That's and good. I feel like then you get to know people a little bit better. Yeah, and uh, I like that. That's which means point. you can evolve and change with people because you're mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, yeah, you're right. Like, we do need booster seats, not just high chairs, right? It, like those types of mm-hmm. things are what make someone's restaurant their favorite, not like whether the microgreens were, you know, expertly placed mm-hmm. with the tweezers on the whatever. So, yeah. What's uh what's the next one you got there? Um so I'm actually going to go backwards to make the point. Okay. Ooh. So this is our high corn. So corn whiskey is um let's get everybody. There we go. We'll so pour up. Corn um Percent. This is still a small batch bourbon, still at 90 proof, so the heat is still there, but you're going to see it just hits different because corn is more mellow, corn is smoother, the starches and available sugars um, just manifest in the finished product a lot uh, different. But all this is, uh, you know, two to three years in barrel, similar color, and that barrel character, which is those baking spices like mm. cinnamon and clove and yeah. vanilla and stuff, are going to be present in these at the same rates, but it's really the mash bill that makes the big difference. Okay. And by mash bill, I just mean mix of different grains. Yeah. So that one is just that like 
spice in there is, or the spice just isn't in there. Yeah. But it's much smoother, more relaxed. Yeah. It's definitely, um, definitely smoother. It has a little bit of a, a sweetness sweeter, to yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the corn sugars, uh, I assume. Right. And, you know, sugar and alcohol are, you know, are linked. That's, they're, uh, the more sugar you have in a in a mash, the more alcohol you can get out through fermentation, and then concentrate that through distillation. So, you know, corns are our number one source of sugar for whiskey. So, um, what do you guys think? Yeah. Which do you like better? I think I like the second one a little bit better. Like the high corn better. Mm -hmm. I could see myself uh, with the weeded like. On a nice big cube and just kind of slow playing that. Mm -hmm. I feel like the high corn would get me in trouble. I feel like I just went down <laughs> so went down so smooth that like I could definitely mm -hmm. definitely enjoy that a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can. But that's <laughs> really good. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, of course, everything responsibly. Um, unless I'm in my basement, then it's Dax rules. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I've heard that before. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I I really I think the high court is uh, more, um, but it, sometimes I like those kind of I don't know how to describe like I like a like a peaty scotch you know like I like things that are kind of like powerful flavors that you have to really kind of slow down to enjoy like sometimes I really like that but I would drink that less often. Got it. Okay. Well, then I got to do this. Hold on. Oh, All he's right. going for uh -oh. the, he's gonna, the peaty. He's going to pull something competing with the peaty. So. <laughs> Guys, uh, and while we do this little commercial break, we would like to shout out um, alcohol in general. <laughs> uh, so Thad asked me earlier if you guys made scotch, and I said no because there's no way we're we're not actually in Scotland. But I feel like you're pouring up some scotch. Well, and I was testing you too if you knew that, which you never cease to amaze me in your uh, knowledge of history of alcohol. <laughs> So this, now, we made this so it can't be scotch. Yeah. Um, this is a, what would be called a single malt here. Uh, so um, what's different about this is that it's malted barley, which yeah. is uh, very, uh, a pretty rare bourbon grain. Um, so, and this was smoked with beech wood. And so the complex, the complexity of a bourbon process from like your completely dry grains and all the way through is pretty well dialed in but there's a reason um that across the industry of craft whiskeys you don't see a lot of people smoking grains and then going starting the process um to dive deep into this we'd have to talk to julian our head distiller uh, because he's like super knowledgeable about the exact science behind it, but uh, suffice it to say that it, even for him, it, you know, it's been like a challenge to get the exact same yield and things like that out of these smoked uh, grain bottles. But when he nails it, these are like some of my favorite whiskeys we yeah. produce, and it does put us on a pretty sparse map of people that yeah. do smoked grain whiskeys um here now we're now we're talking this so one this is, is the beechwood um we've done uh several of these but they're all small batch i mean there's mm. less than 10 bottles of oh, this wow. left that's amazing yeah uh, it reminds me of going from like tequila to mezcal oh because you start yeah, to get like yeah. that like almost campfire oh, you know <laughs> sort of smokiness no that's wonderful yeah, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is great. Wow. Mm. And just even the nose on it, I got so much like smoke off just the... <coughs> From the top. Yeah. Sorry, when I cough, that means I really like something. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, mm. The other thing that I like this uh, for is that they actually did this like kind of grilled pineapple uh, profile tiki drink with this. So okay. it was like... They call the beach party, beachwood, beach party. Oh. Um, but it's like a smoky tiki drink with like pineapple, mango, mint, all this stuff. It's great. And man, that is a killer little uh, twist. Oh my gosh. So this was extremely low batch, right? You said yeah, small, yeah, a, a one off. So 
let's see on here. Yeah, so 530 bottles total uh, way back, so Gosh. 2020. So we, we just kind of work our way through these. And so the other thing, this would be similar to like a Speyside Scotch, um, not like Macallan Highland Scotch. It's like leaner, a little more quaffable than your, like those huge, like more cognac rich style of uh, scotches. Um, you guys do anything different with the, with the water when you make the you know, single malt? Uh, no, the w- water is going to be set up the same, but the... Uh, one cool thing that we're looking at here, and I don't, I don't know if this is going to be feasible, or if I'm even allowed to like quote, be quoted on it. But like, what we, what we are researching is if our process up here, if there's small batch stuff that we can do using well water, like if we dig a well Let's and like go. get like water straight from here. Yeah. Um, I just think those types of things are always interesting to to mess with as a product. I mean. We'll have the capacity to do 20 barrels a day here. We've been doing one or two barrels a day for years. So we'll have a steep learning curve there. But with automated technology and stuff now, yeah. like you can just like switch straight through and get it going. I got to say, that's that's phenomenal. <laughs> so good. Is that <laughs> what were you going to say? No, I just really like the idea of the uh, well, well water. Because I, I grew up in the country and we, I love our water back home. And it definitely tastes like something. And I always thought it got it has to be something kind of like you know when you get the uh, the the mineral waters or whatever, and they taste like the earth or whatever. But well, water never sounds as fancy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. I I'm I remember well water or even you know like drinking out of the hose, hose water, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hose water. Maybe maybe we need to skip the well and just say we make this with hose. Yeah, water. It's hose fresh. water. Fresh from the hose, uh, we Where had a we had at? a guest come over uh, to our house and offered her a glass of tap water, and she said uh, no, thank you. She didn't drink, uh, which it was she called it sink water. Sink water. She goes, oh, I don't drink sink water, sink and I never heard anyone yeah. say that before. Like she had her hands up. She's like, oh, like is that sink water? Like, <laughs> like we had like a, a sink water water just standing, and we just scooped it up. <laughs> It's like, who calls it sink water? That's inappropriate. And then, yeah, so if you're a lady out there and you think you're bougie, don't go to someone's house and call it sink water. That's disrespectful. Uh, I had to do that for them. Yeah. That's a good good announcement. Yeah, I mean, the fluoride is actually good. Yeah, for your teeth, teeth and there, your yeah. brain. I usually just scoop it out of the back of the toilet tank. You know, yeah. Just like. Well, the, for <laughs> the zombie apocalypse, that's what you, one of the things you should do is get the water out of there first. Yeah. I hear. Did you grow up on the country? You said you were out in the country? Yeah, I I grew up uh, kind of with mom in the city and dad in the country. So yeah. Kind of bouncing back and forth. Same. So, uh I got a little taste of that country water and yeah. the city water. When you said hose water, it just took me back because like you'd mow and then you get tired of mowing and you just go suck on the hose for a second. <laughs> yeah, and then you and get ho- back. hose water hits different. It always and did. It, it, it was, always, but it was cold. It was colder, but it had that kind of metallic taste to it. Yeah, yeah, but it, like in the oh. best possible way. Yeah. yeah. Like you licked a battery a little bit while yeah. you were drinking. Ooh, yeah. you were, it was gosh. also a little forbidden, you know. It was just like I'm drinking water outside. Well, it wasn't forbidden from, on our farm. Yeah, I've like never heard city. of the hose water being forbidden. <laughs> I don't know. It just always seemed weird. Forbidden water? Well, you pick a hose up out of the dirt. And <laughs> There's our brand. It. That's the name of it. Forbidden <laughs> water? <laughs> there you go. I like that. Yeah. And But like maybe were you, was it your place or were you drinking <laughs> other people's hoses? I wasn't technically supposed to be there. <laughs> you were not supposed to be I there. was asked okay. to leave a few times. Like, well, that's well, get off like that hose. The spigot, like drinking straight out of that spigot. Now that's really like... That's bottom. But, like, if you've got the hose, it's luxurious. It's yeah. Like you could be standing. Yeah. You could bend over and dig it so it doesn't mm-hmm. get on your tennis shoes. Now, I will say uh, something did ruin my experience with drinking hose water. Like I, I poured it, like, I think in the glass one time, and you could see oh. a lot of minerals. You don't want to see that. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not clear. That's the that's part <laughs> of the trick. You never put it in a glass. That's the prestige. You never put it in <laughs> the glass. That's the trick with yeah. hose water. Yeah, yeah. Do not put that in a glass. Um, okay. Water from hose. We, that was uh, our segment. <laughs> we, uh, no, well, I, I was, man, I was, I'm still so impressed with it because uh, I was just like, yeah, no one's, 
no one's doing single malts out here. Like, this is crazy that you bust this out. Yeah, we were literally talking about this before you came in. I was explaining to him specifically why you wouldn't have it. And it was so, so good. Surprised us. So, good, yeah. so we got to tell Julian to make another one. Uh, and what we're thinking, so we every Tuesday we do, um, we do a big batch of meat on a smoker. And like uh, butternut squash and stuff, and then we do uh, like a barbecue day. But I think it'd be fun to for like next spring or like once barbecue season starts to really ramp up for outdoor cooking to do um, another round of the smoked uh, yeah. single malt. So well, you know you favorite. can do you know you can uh, you can buy like a one foot by one foot plot of land in Scotland and uh, and technically be a lord. You can just do it online. And uh, you, we'll do that too. You get you get one foot by one foot of land that's yours, and then they they make you a lord, and then the distiller could be Lord So and So's, you know, Scottish single malt. Okay, I'll get I'll get that for Julian for his birthday. Yeah, love it. Be well, like uh, you're a Scottish lord now. Lord it's Rattler. like being like an internet minister, you know. Yeah, I think I am. Thank you. Now this internet is the minister. the Hamer. Yeah, so can you uh, explain the name this because I know a lot of times people call it hammer. And so hammer is H A M E R. This is our brand that we distribute. Um, so this is in a dozen or more states, mm-hmm. and um, it's Indiana grain whiskey that is um, usually small batch and uh, made of different proofs. So it has kind of a little world of its own for within our total brand. And then he, we're going to sample... Oh, wait, no. Hugh Hamer comes from uh, the first distiller registered in Indiana. Oh, okay. Um, in southern Indiana, 1825. Okay. And so we kind of took that recipe that was on file there As and the tried first. to best, re- best recreate what it would have tasted like. And, you know, this is the... This is like the meat of, of like why we are a company. Actually, kind of between our two brands, the the promise is still the same. That like we are debunking the myth that like somehow on the other side of the river, like the barrels are better, the water's better, the grain is better. Yeah. You know, it's the 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 people are better. You know, it's just you know, um, as we all know, Indiana. Uh, is a different state than Kentucky and each, you know, state better has a different (laughs) political reality. But if, if we kind of zoom, zoom out back to like post prohibition, the reemergence of, of distilleries in Kentucky was had fewer barriers and in Indiana um, it was much, uh, much slower. And so, with the craft distilling licenses and and that kind of uh, pro those programs were a boon to craft distillers in Indiana and really injected this. But it, there's no reason to think of whiskey as being always in Kentucky and not in Indiana mm-hmm. because the reality was there were many 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 distilleries of of quality on both yeah. sides of the river before prohibition. So I always say uh, Kentucky did it first, Hoosiers did it better. We'll put it on a t-shirt. We'll add that to our creative meeting after this. (laughs) Um, So we're pouring the Hamer honey here. So um, the way this works is, so honey is stored, aged, stabilized uh, after its, uh, its production. And so honey aged in our old Hamer barrels. And then we basically take the barrel back and age it uh, for another uh, set of months. So what you end up with here is uh, creatively kind of our answer to people wanting a wider variety of flavor and and profiles in whiskey. But I really believe that your your Jack Honey and these other um, Mm. larger house products um, are made in a bigger way and more predictable um, so they have to use more predictable processes and ingredients to produce at that scale luckily um, for us we're able to uh, make and sell at a smaller scale and we think a better 
at a higher quality and more complex uh, profile. So our honey, this is um, this is still real bourbon, I guess, to put it in like a just straight ahead terms, you know. Whereas mm. like Jack Honey is more as a, of a liqueur; it's it's much lower proof, yeah, than than regular whiskey. Ours is at one hundred and three, and the flavor profile isn't just some sweet thing. Yeah. It's it's pretty complex mm-hmm. um, notes. So I felt like I was drinking whiskey. I wasn't drinking like a whiskey honey product. Yeah, like get the booze flavor ready for this. But I the taste of this is really the bee's knees. I'll let it pass. Let it pass. Yeah, Give it a applause button then. Thank you. Oh, I don't, I don't. Do you really think it's the bee's knees? I do. Great. It's really good. Like it's so sweet, and like and like when you talk about honey, like you picture you're drinking like this honey. It's great. Spicy. No, I. So for me, uh, the the alcohol that I know and drink straight is tequila, and so I, I know a like I like sipping tequila, and I, I know a decent amount about that. And for all other hard alcohol, I usually go really trashy and pick a sweet flavor. Yeah. So like, like uh, limoncello, peanut butter whiskey, honey whiskey, those are, you know, some of my favorite things. And they're definitely, like you said, very one note. It's, it's you know, sweet whiskey. Uh, but this is not. This is wonderful. Like, this is something that you can actually sip and, and enjoy. And, yeah. and it's not just straightforward sweetness or whatever. It's really nice. Yeah, I did. I didn't even want to make the comparison because I didn't want to like drag down the name of the product. But the the weeded tastes like if someone made like an adult Fireball to me because it has that cinnamon in it. <laughs> but like, I don't want to compare. I don't want to be like it tastes like Fireball. Like it tastes like what Fireball would be if you were, you know, if you have a job. If you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is like a like a. A whiskey with cinnamon notes versus like a sugary, you know, yeah, car crash. <laughs> the notes that we put out and write for, um, let me see if I can just pick one out here. So we write the the notes in in order to inspire people to like kind of come up with their own. Yeah. So like on the weeded, um, you know, one of the notes was like cedar chest or like uh like beet sugar uh state fair peanuts for the high corn Ah. and so like when we write our notes um our goal is to kind of get people to be like oh it's okay to come up with anything that i smell but occasionally there are people that are like so like you you put cotton candy and cornbread (laughs) batter and state fair peanuts in here like and then do you like filter it out or uh, i have to be very i have to do hard work to like go with them and yeah. be like actually we don't because <laughs> these are the notes for which and because you don't want to made with real horse blanket stupid. <laughs> yeah um i, be, just, I would new. be you're good i would be like wait what did you just say <laughs> hey hold up let's get a man hey come over here listen to what he just said <laughs> Listen to what Ding Dong just thought we put in our whiskey. Hot and candy? No. Fair peanuts? Come, get out. It's, it's, it's common enough, but that means that, that's, to me, that's kind of that, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's proof that we have a bigger job in Indiana as an Indiana distiller, people, native, uh, native Hoosiers, we have a bigger job as a brand than to just make good product. We have yeah. a job to welcome people in without yeah. pretension, without mm-hmm. uh, a price-focused strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we want to be sustainable as a business, but we want to be talking to people about what whiskey is, Educate where it comes them. from, yeah. educating them, and bringing them on to, to team whiskey, which right. craft beer, you know, 20 years ago, I mean – there was still a stigma and you couldn't buy anything on Sunday and all that. Mm -hmm. Craft beer did a lot of work, a lot of leg work for folks to uh, say like, it's okay to like go to church with your family and have a beer with lunch afterwards. Right. I really think. Or during church. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm certain there is a craft beer church somewhere out there. Maybe. It's in Portland. Uh, Maybe. Okay. Yeah. It's not, it's not here. You know, Hoosiers Uh, are simple (laughs) and we, if you educate us, we're going to latch on just like the craft beer 
and what you're doing with whiskey. Josh, uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us. And uh, this has been amazing. This was so good. Uh, Where can people, I don't know if you want to give your professional, keep up. If we want to keep up with everything that West Fork's doing, where's the best way on social media to keep up, follow, keep up? Um, Well, West Fork Whiskey, um, our main page is going to always be sharing the sub accounts. So if you're really interested in learning about um, family-friendly food and, that we put out. You know, the Mash House has its own page, and you can focus in there. Um, or if you were saying you wanted to like stay abreast of like our cocktail programs, learn about our bottle releases, um, things like that. You know, Stave and and Mash House uh, will probably be sharing those too. But you know, that main page is going to keep you uh, informed, and we do all kinds of announcements on there uh, even if like we happen to be closed in one part for your day that's really the the first place to go Check okay it's it kind of a portal to wherever yeah. you need to go well awesome well uh thank you so much for for talking to us today we appreciate it uh thank you shane mckee where can people find you and catch up with your stuff well you guys know me from pseudo histories uh i do fake histories and little Timmy's make it real for your company so if you're looking for a good background or a good origin story i'm doing pseudo histories you can find me at fab mckee pseudohistories.com uh zach rome you can find me at uh timmyspegmash.com <laughs> <laughs> it's actually unconnected to what they were talking about but, you know check it out uh be sure to check out our patreon we do a comedy another comedy episode every week uh uh, patreon.com backslash harder brunch it's only three dollars and you get access to our uh expansive after brunch library with over 100 episodes mm. the after brunch universe if you will yeah yeah it's the it's the after brunch extended universe the hbu yeah hbu baby it sounds like a std yeah. <laughs> for only three dollars you two could have hbu <laughs> and you can get rid of it <laughs> Hey, uh, thank you guys so much, and uh, hey, we'll see you next time on Harder Brunch. Bye-bye.